0: In a few weeks, the acting head of the Baptist Union of Western Australia is going to be coming to preach for us down here at Golden Bay. Uh, Mark Wilson, who is who was the current head, has moved on to uh, bigger and better things, and um, this person has taken up the mantle in the interim while we try and find the next person to lead our union of churches. Uh, they're taking the, the time, the opportunity to... To really look at where the church is at, where the church is going, how we can improve, all that sort of things. And this person is going to come and uh, share a message with us. Interestingly, back in April when we had our pastors gathering, um, I sat down with this person and they said that uh, they thought that only about 25% of Baptist churches in Western Australia would actually allow them to come and preach. It's a strange number. Uh, you, You might wonder what what the reason for that is, and the actual reason is that it's simply because they are a woman. Some Christians are convinced that a woman teaching a man or a woman being an authority over a man goes totally against God's will. Uh, They believe that God created man to lead and that women are to be silent, that they are to be submissive to their husbands and to perhaps other men as well. In, in our world, that's an agenda that is slowly starting to be challenged. Patriarchy is falling, but is that a good thing? Or is it a worldly attack on how God intends things to be? I should put my cards on the table. I am convinced that men and women are equal in Christ, Galatians 3.28 you know, in Christ, there is no neither Jew nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. You know, we're all united in Christ. Um, I think what matters most is not our gender, but the gifting that God has given us. And you know, if God has gifted us to do something, who are we to say that He's done the wrong thing? I also should say that culturally, I grew up um, with men being the, the the main preachers. It is sometimes odd for me to hear uh, women preaching, and and. Really, I have to sometimes stop and say to myself, "No, uh, you are you're making your judgments, your decisions based on your culture, on your assumptions, rather than what on, the, rather than on what God actually says." Um, I, I I think we should embrace men and women using their gifts because I'm convinced that that is God's plan. Today we're going to be looking at one of the passages uh, that is. Very often used to prove that women should be silent uh, in churches. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So one of the things we've got to look at is not just the verses that speak about women in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, Paul mentions that in verse 34, but, but we need to look at the bigger picture. You know, without looking at the context of a passage, it's, it's so easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees. Now, one of the things I want to do with this sermon is not just to speak about this particular issue, but to also look at how we read the Bible well, how we discover exactly what it is that God is saying to us. And one of the things that that is going to take is is a little bit of hard work. So if we look here at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we see that God was doing amazing things in Corinth. This was a church where incredible things were happening. God's spirit was at work. You know, they were seeing all sorts of manifestations of, of spiritual gifts, incredible things happening. They also had their share of problems. One of the things I love is that most of the letters in the New Testament were written to churches with issues. That they, they just Normal Christians getting some stuff right, getting some stuff wrong. And Paul's writing to them going, well done for that. That's brilliant. That's exciting. That's amazing. Let's deal with the other side of things as well, though. Let's deal with the other side of things, though. So in Corinth, one of the issues that they have to deal with is, um, is the way that they were using their gifts. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 the focus is on the orderly use of of the gifts that God gives so that the church is built up and, and strengthened and yeah just really encouraged by all of that uh, each person, says Paul, uh, brings something along to the service. One person brings a song, somebody brings a, a word from God, somebody a revelation from God. Uh, maybe someone speaks in tongues and there's someone there to interpret. Uh, all of this is to build the church up. The problem is that the church service in Corinth from the sounds of it was in a little bit of a shambles. You'd have all these people using their different gifts all at once. So, you know, three people talking, one person prophesying and another person prophesying on the other side. And somebody talking in tongues over there. Maybe one interpretation over there, but no interpretation over there. Somebody singing at the same time. And it's a mess. You just can't hear. Poor people sitting in the middle have no idea where they're going to look, where they're going to listen. They've got uh, no benefit at the end of the service. So Paul writes and says, let's make sure that we do things in an orderly way, in a fitting way, in a proper way. So, you know, only two or three speakers and let's weigh their words carefully. And, you know, let's, let's say there's only two or three people going to speak in tongues. And, and look, if there isn't someone who can interpret it, then, then you don't speak in tongues because this is all about building the church up. And if people don't understand, well, it's all very well for you, but you're not building anyone else up. Um, you know, Paul says, if, if you are using your gifts, God has given you control over your gifts. You can stop, you can pause, you can yield the floor to someone else. And that's when Paul comes here to the bit that uh, we want to focus in on. And he speaks about women being silent in churches. Now, Especially in some translations, uh, the English Standard Version is a good one that illustrates this. Uh, It says there that as in all of God's churches, women are to be silent. If we read it like that, we're in trouble because we as a church have female people leading the services. I'm sure I heard a couple of the ladies singing a little bit earlier. Uh, We've had uh, ladies praying. We've had ladies speaking in the church. Are we going against what God says is right and appropriate for his people? Before we Really look at that. Let's, let's just look at that, that start of verse 40 or that end of verse 33, uh, 33 or 34, I should say. Uh, all Bible translations, all good English uh, mainline Bible translations are good in that you can pick them up and you can learn all that you need to know to, to know God, to love Him, to experience Him, to hear what He has to say. But, but in, translating is, is not easy. Because every time you translate between two languages, you're going to be doing some interpretation and you're going to be having to make some decisions about how, um, how to express one thing in one, from one language in another language. Uh, usually, you know, one word doesn't map exactly to one word in another language. And you add to that the fact that in the Greek manuscripts, they didn't have lots of paper, they didn't have lots of ink. They, they needed to be uh, really tidy and, and concise in what they did. And so what they would do is actually write their their letters, their parch, parchments, their manuscripts. They would write them without any spaces between the words. More often than not, they would use no punctuation either. And so, as you read it, you got to be looking at it, going, "Okay, is." Where does that word finish? Where does that word start? Uh, Where does this bit of the sentence go? Does it go with with what comes before or does it go with what comes afterwards? And you've got to make a decision. Where am I going to put this, this chunk of text? How does it actually fit? And sometimes it can logically, grammatically fit a couple of different ways. That's one of the things that we get here in verse 33. You know, does the second half, as in all the churches, uh, does, that, does that fit best with verse 33a, or does it fit best as the introduction to the sentence of verse 40? Uh, interestingly, the person who put Bible verses into our Bibles thought that it went with 33a, because, you know, 33 is one verse and 40 is another verse, but, but was he right? If we put the second half of verse 33 as the end of the sentence of verse 33, we're saying that God is a God of peace and order throughout all of his churches. If, however, we put 33b with the start of um, chapter 34, Paul is saying that, that women are to be silent in all of God's churches. In other words, if we put that, that phrase of the sentence as the introduction to verse 34, we are saying that it is inappropriate for women to talk, to not be silent in any church that is a Christian church. Now, personally, I think it makes more sense to, to put that in all of God's churches as, as the ending of verse 33. God is a God of order and peace, as in all of God's churches. Um, I think that because it seems to make sense. But, but there's a few other Clues, I think, in the rest of the Bible that suggests to me that women are not meant to be silent. In fact, we have a whole bunch of women in the Bible who are anything but silent. Let's start off Old Testament times. So we've got Deborah. Deborah is one of the famous judges of Israel. She, she you can read her story in Judges chapter four, round about verse four. Uh, she led a nation. She judged a people. That's that's not really being silent. Uh, who else have we got? We we all know Isaiah, he's one of the most famous prophets. In the Old Testament, but uh, what we might forget in, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3, we're told that Isaiah himself married a prophet. Uh, during the time of Jeremiah, there was another famous prophet uh, named Hulda. You can read her story in 2 Kings chapter 22. Now, let me just pause there and, and, and say, what is Prophecy. Um, There some prophecy includes looking towards the future. But as a general rule, the prophets were not very inventive in what they were saying. Most of the time, prophets just interpret what God has said in the past and apply it to the lives of the people around them today. So they're constantly looking back and saying, you know, this is what God has said. If we are faithful, he will be good. If we are not, uh, there will be consequences for that. You know, it's calling people to live God's kind of life. And so, in a sense, um, uh, prophecy, quite often, I I would almost equate with preaching. Prophecy is saying this is what God has said and this is why we should pay attention to it and this is what it means for us today. And so, you know, uh, there is a gift of prophecy which which is different to that and uh, which can also look forward uh, to the future. But there's also this gift of prophecy in terms of preaching. And so we've got here women who are prophets Uh, That includes both telling what God is going to do, but also looking back and reflecting on what God has said and applying it to our lives today. What else? Well, uh, if we go to Romans chapter 16, we see Paul greeting a whole bunch of people. And actually 10 of the people that Paul greets in Romans chapter 16 are women. And of those ten, seven of them he explicitly highlights in terms of their work for the gospel, their ministry work. Uh, in particular, there's Phoebe. Phoebe, he, he calls out as a deacon of the church at St. Cray. I can never pronounce the name of that place. But Paul wants them to know this is a leader of the church in that place. Why? Well, because Phoebe is the person who, in all probability, is taking this letter and is going to read it to the, uh, to the church in Rome. Uh, she was there with Paul. She knows what Paul was saying. Uh, You know, as people are, as she's reading it, the people can put their hand up and say, excuse me, Phoebe, what did he mean by, you know, this little bit in Romans? And she goes, well, you know, that's a good one. When Paul wrote that, he said, blah, 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 blah. And she could explain it. So she is a teacher in all probability. Uh, Who else is mentioned? I think the other really important person there to to mention in Romans chapter 60 is the lady called Junia. Paul calls her prominent among the apostles. I don't know, maybe she was one of those 500 who saw the risen Jesus. She she is an apostle. She's somewhat tasked with with witnessing and testifying to the fact that Jesus is no longer dead. So we've got all these women in the Bible uh, who are anything but silent. In fact, let's go one, one further. You know, Jesus himself, after his resurrection, who are the first people that he appears to? It's a couple of women. And he sends him off to tell the men that he will meet them in Galilee. What about Paul here in in 1 Corinthians? So here in 1 Corinthians 14, it seems that he says that the women are to be silent. But a few chapters back, Paul actually writes about women prophesying. It's it's a little bit of a confusing passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through to about 6, uh, where he speaks about head coverings and non-head coverings and who. All of this stuff. But in there, he just sort of as an aside says, you know, a, a, a woman when they pray or prophesy it's just kind of like assumption that, well, the women in the church are going to be praying in public. They are going to be prophesying in public. In all probability, that includes preaching in public, teaching uh, the men there. So, you know, Paul assumes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the women are going to be speaking in church. And, and, and I want to suggest that, well, more than suggest, I want to say that if Paul assumes that in, in, in chapter 11, we cannot come to chapter 14 and say that he's changed his mind in three chapters. He's not that stupid. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, what he assumes there uh, is that women are going to be te- prophesying, going to be praying. So it cannot be the case that when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, that women have to be silent. You, you, you cannot put those two together. So what are we going to do here? Well, one of the things that we need to to say when we are looking at uh, reading the Bible is that the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us, but it was originally written to people a long time ago from a different culture, speaking a different language. And we've already spoken a bit about how we need to be careful about translating words and how we put our sentences together and exactly what was originally meant by the writer. But but the other thing that we have to take into account is that the people that Paul was writing to, and Paul himself, had different social baggage. They had different worldviews that they could rely upon. For example, uh, if we speak about mateship in Australia, we know what that means. If we speak about the Anzac spirit, we, we know something about what that means. It it, it has connotations for us. Um, you know, we 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 get something of, you know... Uh, Caring for each other, going above and beyond, sacrificial love, all those sort of ideas are wrapped up in, in that sort of language. Uh, the people that Paul was writing Corinthians to had a shared social history, a shared worldview with Paul that, that is similar to ours, but it's different because they come from a different culture and a different time and a different place. One of the things that they would probably have been aware of is what happened in Rome, in about 214 or 215 BC. So 214 BC, uh, Rome had one of the worst days, the, 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 the Roman nation had one of the worst days in their history, uh, when Hannibal wiped their floor with them. 50 to 70,000 Rome soldiers died in one day. Uh, most other nations, if that happens, you you're gone. Your nation declines. That's the end of you. But Rome was made of sterner stuff and they tightened their belts and they decided that they were going you know, to win this thing in the end. And, and they did. Eventually, they, they, they won over Hannibal. <clears throat> but one of the ways that they decided to tighten their belts was by uh, dealing with difficult women. Uh, so in 215 BC, they passed something called the Oppian Law. Now, the Oppian law was designed to crack down on independently wealthy women. Um, Fifty to 70,000 men have died. You've got all of a sudden got a lot of women who are freed from uh, their husbands, from male guardianship, which was the norm in Roman society. And all of a sudden, they've got this wealth. Maybe some of them have inherited wealth. The Oppian law comes along and says you, you're not allowed to ride in carriages in Rome unless it's a really special occasion. You're not allowed to dress extravagantly or luxuriously. Uh, you're not allowed to have more than about 14 grams of gold. You have to spend your wealth not on yourself, but on Rome, on the nation, on the people. Which they did. But then the crisis Finished. And you might not be surprised to learn that when the Oppian law, the crisis that that produced it, came to an end, the Oppian law did not. And the women who were uh, disenfranchised by it were not all that keen. So in about 195 BC, uh, you have stories of these previously wealthy women blockading streets, protesting in the streets, blocking the uh, the way to the forum that's the equivalent of the parliament for the people. Uh, they're saying, we want to have our money back. Now, we, we think that, you know, um, women's lib started in the 1960s, 1970s maybe, but actually we look here, yeah, it was about 195 BC. For some strange reason, women weren't being happy with being oppressed all the way back then. Uh, writing in the first hundred years of the ADs, uh, a historian called Livy records what one of the consuls, that's one of the head honchos of the Roman government, uh, said about these women all that time ago. Now, Livy was a very famous historian. Um, it's kind of like, you know, everyone knows his writing. Paul was a well-known, uh, was a well-read, well-educated man. There's no doubt that he would probably have read Livy or have at least have heard of this sort of saying, chances are the people in Kant would have heard something like this as well. Uh, but Libby writes about what this 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 consul Cato the Elder says. Uh, Cato wasn't very happy. One day he was trying to get to the forum, to the parliament and his way is blocked. And he eventually gets through and he gives a speech and he says, what kind of behavior is this? Could you not have asked your own husbands the same thing at home? Are you more charming in public with others' husbands than at home with your own? And yet it is not fitting, even at home, for you to concern yourselves with what laws are passed or repealed here. Our ancestors did not want women to conduct any, not even private, business without a guardian. They wanted them to be under the authority of parents and brothers or husbands. We, the gods, help us. Even now, let them snatch at the government and meddle in the forum and our assemblies. It's not word for word, but... I don't know about you, but I can hear echoes in what Livy records Cato the Elder saying and, and what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. It's not identical, but there's definite echoes. And remember, Paul would probably have been aware of this sort of thing. This was, this was a, a, a common knowledge kind of thing. This was how women were thought of in the Roman world of the time. I wonder if it isn't possible... That rather than Paul telling women to be silent, that he was actually having a go at worldly thinking, having infected the church. That Paul is quoting a common way of looking at the world, a worldly way of looking at the world, and saying, no, that's not the way we do things in god's kingdom he's done this a few times in the letter to the corinthians already uh 1 corinthians chapter 6 he speaks about you know all things are lawful for me and then he goes in and says yeah but not everything is beneficial chapter 7 he says you know food for the stomach and stomach for the food yeah but both are going to be destroyed in the end in fact uh, verse 36 starts with a word which which we can not translate either as or 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 what And so we we actually see exactly the same structure in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20 to 22. That's where Paul is writing to them about communion. Let me bring it up for you and read it to you over here. So Paul here is is talking to them about how they are meeting together for communion and how they need to do better at that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 20, he says, When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you are... Uh, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Now, th- that's the same, exact same grammatical structure as what we got here in one Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse thirty-six. Uh, Paul is is saying perhaps to the church. Here is what the world is saying about women: women should be silent. They they should be uh, you know submissive, like the law says. They need to just be quiet what are you the only people who have God's word? Are you, are you the only ones who think that you're, are, um, he says, what do you think that you're above God's word? Do you think that, that, that you can get to decide that women should be silent? Uh, that that the law, the Roman law should apply here. Is it possible that Paul is saying to them that that is not the way of God? Now, Is it possible to, read this differently. Yes, it is. There are people who will read this differently. You say, no, Paul is saying exactly what it seems on the surface that the women should be silent and you can make an argument for that, but but the fact that he says the exact opposite just a few chapters before tells me that something else is happening here. And the fact that Paul then goes around and, and is has a habit in this letter of, of addressing false ways of thinking and saying, No, what are you thinking? That's totally wrong. Suggests to me that that could be exactly what he is doing here in 1 Corinthians 14. The fact is not... that, That the worldly thinking that women should have rights has entered into the church. The problem in Corinth was that the worldly thinking that men are superior to women was taking root in the church. And that is not the way of the gospel. That is not the way of Christ. I think that the overwhelming direction of the Bible is towards men and women being equal in Christ. If God wants to speak through someone, if God gifts someone be they man or woman who are we to say no now perhaps this question doesn't really bother you perhaps uh, you've sorted this all out in your thinking already perhaps you uh, you're a woman who thinks it's right to be silent perhaps you're a woman who thinks it's the only right thing for you to speak up if God has gifted you perhaps you're a man who thinks either of those thoughts either perhaps you just don't care about this particular issue I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you don't care to to think deeply about it, because there are many people who are disenfranchised by our thinking. Potentially. What is God's will for us in this? But there is... An important point, regardless of this whole issue of women being silent or not. And that's how we read our Bibles. We need to not look at individual verses in isolation. We need to look at them in their broader context and and the context of, of, of the whole book. So here 1 Corinthians 14 verse 34 to 36 in the context of 1 Corinthians 14. And and look at that in the context of the whole of Corinthians. Look at that in the context of the whole of the New Testament. Look at that in the context of the whole of God's history with humanity. We have to do the hard work. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that God is saying to us here? Now, we could just read on the surface and, and God can bless us like that. But, but if we really want to encounter the deepness and the richness and the goodness of God's word to the depths, we need to do some hard work. We need to ask ourselves, what would the first people who heard this have understood? What, what did they assume about how life works? How would they hear what Paul is saying to us? Because if we don't do that, we are liable to read our assumptions, our ways of looking at the world into the Bible. We risk doing what I think the Corinthians were doing and and taking cultural norms and the way that our world thinks and saying, well, that is the way that the church should work. When actually what we do when we come to the Bible is ask, not does God conform to the world, but how should my life conform to what God says? We need to think about that. We need to do the hard work of discovering exactly what it is that God wants of us. Because, you know, he has saved us. He loves us. He knows what is best for us. And we want to determine to live our lives in obedience to that. But if we're going to do that, we actually have to put in the hard yards. Reading the Bible can be hard work, but it is, it is so worth it. Now, that means that sometimes we're going to have to ask questions. That means that we're going to have to, we're going to, have to dig deeper, maybe read a book or, or look into someone who has spent time studying the culture, the customs, the ways of the ancient world to which the Bible was originally written. So that, so that we can go, ah, that's what the first people would have thought about this. The thing is, God's truth is there for us. If we are willing to pursue it. If you are a woman. I believe God is saying. That you don't have to be silent. That the world which would put you in a box. No longer has that right in Christ. Base that on 1 Corinthians 14. In conjunction with 1 Corinthians 11. And in conjunction with the rest of the biblical witness regardless of where you come down on that i hope that today's sermon has helped you to to think through just a little bit more how we actually read the bible how we can discern what it is that god wants i, I hope that that you will be encouraged to do that deep dive to taste the 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 richness of God's word. Yes, it is hard work. But yes, it is so worth doing. May God help us to pursue his truth together.